morning. Happy first Sunday of the new year. By the way, if, if any of you have a heart to strengthen your prayer life, read the Bible and the prayers that are throughout the Bible, particularly the Apostle Paul, but you may also want to listen to Bola carefully as she's praying because she loads up her prayer with the Word of God. When you, when you insert Bible verses... Uh, into your prayer. It just strengthens the prayer. And it just unites your heart with God. And when she prays as she does, it unites our hearts with God. I'm so thankful for her. Okay, so we are going through John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's what we uh, ended with the week, the Sunday before the Christmas Sunday, and we are going to continue this morning. If you could rise for the reading of God's Word, we're in John chapter 3, John, wow, John chapter 13. We're not going back to John 3, although I will be quoting it today. John chapter 13, if you need a Bible, raise your hand at Calvary Chapel. We would not only like to hear the Word of God, we like to see it. Okay, John chapter 13, let us begin in verse 18. John chapter 13, verse 18. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom they, he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus said, answered, he said, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew what the reason he said this to him, for some thought, because he was the had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he, Judas, then went out immediately, and it was night. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you. Just thank you, Lord, that we can begin this first Sunday of the new year, Lord, as we spent the last Sunday of last year, Lord, together with you, with each other, with our Bibles open, recognizing that the words there, the, the words here, are all about you. And Lord, our life, life is all about you. But oh, how we fall short in living that. God, we thank you for the grace. We thank you for the blood of Jesus, which your word says cleanses our sin. We can uh, fail miserably yesterday, confess our sin to you, and walk in grace and joy today. But Lord, we want to know this morning more about life, the abundant life, Lord Jesus, that you have promised. We want to walk in that life this year. I pray that for us. I pray that for all the churches in the city of Boston who teach the word of God. I pray that for our children in Sunday school and nursery. Lord, do that work in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in the last verse of John chapter 12, Jesus speaks the final words of his public ministry. Last verse recorded by John of Jesus' public ministry, verse 50. Last words he said in public while free. Verse 50 says, I know that God's command is everlasting life. And I speak just as my father told me to speak. I know that God's command is everlasting life. Jesus' last statement in public before being arrested, sentenced to death, and crucified. It's the end of chapter 12. The chapter immediately preceding the chapter we're in this morning, chapter 13. Now, chapter 13 through 17. We have the indescribable privilege of being able to really, to be in the same room. It's like as if we're in the same room, we're seeing what Jesus did, and we're hearing what he said in private with his disciples. prior to being arrested and taken away and crucified. Now, chapter 13, verse 1, begins famously saying he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. That's a great verse to just brand on your soul. 
He loved those who were with him in the world, and he loved them to the end. Now, chapter 13, again, it's an account of the Last Supper, really. Uh, What happened immediately after the Last Supper. Verse 2 says that after the Supper ended, Jesus stood up, he took off his outer garment, meaning he's more or less like he's in a loincloth. He took a towel, he girded himself, then he himself poured water into a basin, Didn't ask one of his disciples to pour the water. Didn't have a servant do it. He himself poured water into a bucket, a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. If you weren't here for the message I gave on these verses, um, (laughs) what that meant, Jesus uh, washing his disciples' feet, and there was a whole message about that. If you weren't here, I recommend you listen online. But um, uh, it's an astonishing thing. Jesus, the God of the universe, washing the feet of his disciples. And then it says in verse 13... After doing that, he said to his disciples, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, because I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. Verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If you have a pattern in your life, and I speak this to my own heart, as well as to you. If you have a pattern in your life of refusing to serve the lowest of the low, they're too different than you, they make you feel too uncomfortable, or an experience with them is too risky, you are making yourself greater than the God of the universe. That's what Jesus is saying. We have a way of making ourselves greater than the God of the universe, on a regular basis, just merely by avoiding the very people God puts right in front of us at work, on the street, at school. By avoiding them, we make ourselves greater. However, if you do serve, if you serve the lowest of the low, those folks who the Lord places right in front of you, verse 17 says, You will be blessed. The word in the Greek means happy. You will be happy. Happy are you if you do them, Jesus says in verse 17. So he continues in verse 18 where we started this morning. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture says, he who eats bread with me will lift up his heel against me. 
This is a quote from the Old Testament, Psalm 41, verse 9. It's a prophecy written a thousand years before Jesus was born that when Messiah comes, when the Son of God comes, when the Savior comes, he's going to be betrayed by someone really, really close to him. Someone he really loved, he really cared for, he really served, would betray him. Verse 19 says, Now I tell you before it comes, before what comes? Before the betrayal happens. I tell you now before it comes that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. So he's telling them this, that he's going to be betrayed because it will be just one more thing that Jesus tells them in advance will happen. And when it does happen, and they see it happen, and they remember, oh, wow, Jesus told us this, they're going to be reassured that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, in the book of Matthew, we read he's told them very specifically not only about this betrayal, he, he, he told them that he would be crucified, that he would be handed over to the Romans, that he would be mistreated by the Romans, and then he would be crucified, and after the third day, he would raise from the dead. And of course, that was very encouraging to them, at the very least, because when the resurrection happened, like, wow, what he, what he said, it's, it's happened. Look, it's happened. Well, in a much smaller way here in verse uh, 19, he's saying the same thing. I'm telling you now I'm going to be betrayed. So after it happens, you know that I am he. By the way, for those of you who look really careful into these things, and I hope that's all of you, verse 19, that word he at the very end of the verse isn't there in the original language. It's probably in italics in your Bible. Really how it reads is this, that you may believe that I am. I am. It's the name of God. That's the name of God. Moses asked God, who should I tell the Israelites sent me to them? And God responded to him, tell them, I am sent you. Jesus is God. Okay, verse 20. Then Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, meaning, listen now and listen very carefully. Most assuredly, I say to you, verse 20, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, this is a message. This is five messages in and of itself. I'm not going to do that this morning. But I will tell you this about it, where Jesus says here in verse 20, he who receives whomever I send receives me. If you get that, if you really believe that, if your heart fully embraces that, you should. This is the word of God, and Jesus is saying it. But if you really believe what he's saying here, he who receives whomever I send receives me, it's either going to turn you into the most proud person on earth, unbearable to hang around, obnoxious, well, tell me where this woman, this man is going to be, I'm going to avoid them, or it's going to turn you into the most humble person on the face of the earth, 
and, and, and attractive to everyone you come into contact with that when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're in the subway, wherever, and you come into contact with people, they are coming into contact with Jesus himself. The Bible teaches that about you. If you're a child of God, and we must embrace these things. We must. Again, most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send, and that means you, if you're a Christian, receives me, Jesus says. And he says, and he who receives me receives him who sent me, meaning God the Father. Okay, verse 21, let's continue. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. Said what things? When he said I, that someone was going to, someone's going to betray me. When he had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, don't misread this verse. It, it says Jesus was troubled in, in spirit um, because one of the disciples was going to betray him. But why? Why was he troubled in spirit because of that? Well, it wasn't because he, he knew that being betrayed meant soon he would be arrested and, and taken off to be crucified. That's not why it's troubled here. It's not because, oh no, now all my plans are being ruined because someone close to me is betraying me. That's not why he's troubled in spirit here. No, he's troubled in spirit here for one reason, one reason alone. He loves Judas. He loves him. What did verse 1 of this chapter say? We read it already. It says, Jesus, having loved his own, loved them to the end. And, and, then, and then he got down on his knees and he cleaned Judas's muddy, grimy feet. He loved him. Look at verse 18 again. Again, um, it says in verse 18, it says of Jesus at the end of verse 18, uh, it, it says, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That's from Psalm 41, verse 9. I want to show you the full, the full verse here. Psalm 41, verse 9. So this is the verse that Jesus is describing Judas with. Even my own familiar friend. See, that, that part was missing from John chapter 13. Even my own familiar friend. He's speaking to Judas here. In whom I trusted. Jesus actually entrusted him with the money bag. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now in another prophetic psalm, Psalm 55, is it? Also a description of Jesus. If a foe, a foe is an enemy, if an enemy were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, he's speaking of Judas here, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. Jesus loved Judas. He loved him. He loved him. And it says here that he is troubled. 
in spirit. So again, in verse 21, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then it says that, verse 22, then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed, meaning confused. What's he talking about? They looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. In other words, they're wondering, who could he possibly be talking about here? Verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now that's John talking about himself. More on that a little later. Verse 24, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, meaning the one whom Jesus loved, to ask him um, who it was whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, Judas went out immediately. And it was night. So Jesus tells his disciples, remember this is the last supper. This is private. Next few chapters are all about Jesus by himself with his disciples. We have the privilege of just being really in the, in, in the same, it's like in the same room. He says, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And in verse 22, it says they're looking around wondering, well, who could he possibly betray him? Who, who could he possibly be, be talking about? Actually, Matthew 26, uh, verse 22 says this, um, and they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? <laughs> you see, we have this wrong view of Judas, right? We have this view of Judas uh, that, you know, there's these 12 apostles, right? And, and 11 of them, they're, they're like following Jesus. They're happy-go-lucky, slapping five as they go along the road, this type of thing, and uh, laughing with each other. And then there's this other guy, the 12th guy. He's sort of behind everyone, uh, avoiding everyone else. He's kind of angry, brooding, a dark cloud over him. That's Judas. No. No, not at all. You don't see, when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, you don't see 11 of the apostles all go, and all look at Judas. You don't see that. They didn't know. They, in fact, it was the opposite. They said, well, is it me? Is it I? Again, Psalm 55, verses 12 Judas was a companion of Jesus, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. This was, this was, this was Judas. He was having sweet fellowship. He was having that, uh, he was, um, had that relationship with Jesus uh, like everyone else. Jesus considered him a close friend. 
So that's why they're all perplexed. Is it, is it I? Is it me? Who is this? So let's pause now and let's reflect with each other this first Sunday of 2018. The Bible says that a man or woman can be coming in and out of church each Sunday, doing the same thing as everyone else, sitting down in the pew, praying when everyone else is praying, singing when everyone else is singing, serving when everyone else is serving, yet have no life of God in them. It's the Bible says. They are attached to the church. They're in the church, but they're not, as Jesus would say, of the church. He's going to say that in John chapter 17. They're not born again. Jesus said earlier in this book, John 3, verse 3, unless a man, unless a woman is born again, born from above, they cannot see. He, she cannot see. He, she cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, Calvary Chapel in the city, brothers and sisters, we're at the beginning of this new year. What could possibly be a better time than to examine yourself as to whether you are really born again? And you say, is that really something a Christian should do? I mean, after all, God wants me to be happy. That doesn't sound like a happy thing to do. I thought I'd come to church to have happy thoughts, positive things. Yes, well, God wants you to be happy. He absolutely does. But never at the expense of his word. And his word says this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. This is a verse in the Bible. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, the last thing that I'm saying here is that you should be moping around day after day wondering if you're a child of God. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to heaven someday. Your evidence that evolution is true, you know, like going your arms like a gorilla or something, you know. That's not, that's not ever the will of God for someone's life. In fact, the barometer of a Christian's life is joy. Do you know that word joy, rejoice, mentioned over 350 times in the Bible? We measure how we're doing with God with that word joy. I speak that to my own heart. I'm not saying that I go day in and day out with, with, with you know, max out on joy. I'm just saying I'm, I'm thankful for that barometer. That I know when something's wrong, and I, I go to God and ask him. That's not God's will for your life to be moping around, miserable, wondering if you're a child of God, but the Bible does say again, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, and no better place to do that, actually, I think, than John chapter 13, because we have a contrast here. We have a contrast between two men. There's one who, Judas, he betrayed Jesus. 
He's called in the Bible the son of perdition, meaning when he died, he died without Jesus, without the life of God, and he has spent the last 2,000 years in outer darkness. And then, then there's another. There's another who loved Jesus, who lived with Jesus, even after Jesus died, he went on living himself with Jesus. He had an everlasting relationship uh, with Jesus uh, and with the resurrected Jesus with whom he had been with for three years. And for the last 2,000 years, he's, with, he's been with Jesus. And that's John himself who wrote this book. So I want to just spend a little time, I want to put these two men alongside of each other and, and consider which one I am. And I'd like you to consider, which one am I? Jesus said in verse 21, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. They all looked at one another confused about whom he spoke. Now, I believe that the answer to the question of what went wrong with Judas, I believe that the answer to that question is you look no further than verse 23. And it's a description of John himself, the man who wrote this book. It says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, to many of us living in the United States of America in the year 2018, that's a little weird. Uh, he, he, he's leaning on Jesus' bosom. That means he's literally backed up into his chest. That's what's going on there. He's backed up into his chest. Now, in terms of evaluating what went wrong with, G with Judas, now please, I hope there's someone not in here saying, well, Judas had to go the direction he went into because it was prophesied about, a demon went into him. No, uh, you're letting yourself get all tied up like a pretzel in your theology. Don't think that you have the capacity to be like Judas. Everyone who dies without Jesus, more or less the same direction, same thing uh, Judas did. Where did Judas go wrong? Well, again, Look no further than this verse. You have this, this man. He wrote this book, the book of John, and he calls himself this. He's calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. More on that a little later. And it says he's leaning on Jesus' chest, his bosom. Now, when you think of the Last Supper, you know, you see those portraits of the Last Supper by da Vinci and you're looking at all these 12 men, and uh, I, I don't know, these guys, they're, they're among other things. First of all, they're all lily white. There's a problem with that. And a couple, few of them look like they have blue eyes. Uh, uh, uh That's not what it was like. Uh, but, but they were also at, at like this very European table with European chairs, high chairs. It's not what happened. 
And I'm not, nothing against Da Vinci and the others who were painting. They didn't have the benefit that we have. We Google in one second what, what it looked like to live in at the time of Jesus and sitting around a table. No, they were at a very low table. I believe it's the name of it is called a triclinium. And it was very low to the ground. There was pills around it. And they're all sort of sitting close to each other. You can actually see some good images of it um, if you go to, to the Google images. Uh, and, and picture a flower. It's the best, the best description I've ever heard of the Lord's Supper. Picture a flower with, you know, I'll, I'll sort of... All the petals are facing one way, the petals of a flower, but they're all kind of folded on top of each other. You following me? That's what this was like. What went wrong with, with Judas? What went wrong was he didn't embrace the very last thing that Jesus said in his public ministry. The commandment of God is everlasting life. Now, we, we think of, of, of commandments as, as something burdensome. We think of Moses on Mount Sinai. There was lightning and thunder. We, we think of something that's uh, kind of fearful. And when we think of it like that, that is... That's not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. But it's only one side of the coin. The other side of it is the commandments are all about love. Jesus says that all the commandments can be summed up in two statements, love God and love your neighbor. You do that, you're obeying all the commandments. Jesus said, the last thing he said was, the commandment of God is everlasting life. And that ever, that. That everlasting life, that everlasting relationship is joining yourself into an intimate relationship with the living God. John had that. <laughs> He's leaning on Jesus' chest. He's leaning back onto Jesus' chest. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He calls himself that four times between now and the end of the book of John. Now, the first time I read that, and many of you may be reading it right now, that seems kind of strange. I mean, that's kind of proud, isn't it? That's kind of prideful. Going around calling yourself, I'm the guy who God loves? Just wait. Just wait and continue. Continue your life with God. Continue opening up the word of God and praying every day. Continue seeking after God. And pretty soon, you will discover this is one of the most wonderful things that can ever happen to a man or woman. Thinking of themselves regularly, even telling others, I'm the one who God loves. Someone who thinks like that and talks like that, oh man, they get it. They totally get it. They get John chapter 12, verse 50. The commandment of God is eternal life. The commandment of God is that you get right into Jesus' bosom and you love him 
And you understand he died for you. You understand that the God of the universe took on human flesh and he serves you. He came here to minister to you. Every other religion on planet earth, it's everything that man can do, can think of to try to serve God. And this, this, this faith we have, this Christian faith, is the, precisely the opposite. It's God doing everything, even coming in appearance of a man and serving man. It's the other way around. And then once you recognize that, just joining yourself to his bosom, his breast, his chest, and being loved by him, allowing him to love you, What did I say at the beginning of John chapter 13? That word love. It says at the beginning of John chapter 13, verse one, uh, it, it says, he loved those who were in the world and he loved them to the end. And that word love, in John chapter 13, 14, and 15 alone, mentioned 24 times, it's in his public ministry, hate to break the news, it's true, he only mentions the word love three times in the same context. In the first 12 chapters of the book of John in his public ministry. But in these three chapters, chapters 13, 14, and 15 alone, 24 times. You know what word was used in the first 12 chapters? A lot in very, very very few times from John 13 onward, the word judgment. The word judgment in his public ministry, 17 times. Jesus warned them of judgment. And, he, and, and really, he was only doing that because of love. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And, and, and there is going to be judgment if you reject the one and only son of God who came and lived and died for you. But then in John chapter 13, verse 1, it says uh, he, he loved his own, uses that expression, to, to the end. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's, what, that's what God is all about. It, it's about him getting you, rescuing you, saving you, making you his own, and then loving you, loving you, loving you, loving you. Judas didn't get that. The contrast between Judas and John. Let me give another example. The parable of the talents in the book of Matthew. You remember the one. Uh, there's a similar parable in, that Jesus told in, in Luke. The parable, uh, a similar parable. Uh, there are three men. And to one of the men, Jesus gives five talents. Now, what's a talent? Just think of it as a bag of gold. He gives, t- or rather, he gives 10 talents, 10 bags of gold. And he says, you know, go and, and do something with these. And then he gives another man five bags of gold, five talents. He says the same thing to him. And then he gives one man one talent, one bag of gold. And, and the, first two, they go take, the first two, they go take their bags of gold, their talent, and, and they invest it. They invest it, and they come back to Jesus with everything they had gained as a result of investing their talents, their bags of gold. 
But the guy with the one talent, the guy with the, 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 the one talent, the one bag of gold, he comes back and he says, look, I hid it. And, and, and the master, of course the master represents God, says, why? And this is what it says, Matthew 25. Can we get that, Sean? It says, then the man who received one bag of gold came. He says, Master, I knew that you are a hard man. I knew that you are, are a hard man. Do we have the continuation of that? Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. That's Judas. Judas has this idea of God, this idea of Jesus that is completely false. That God is a hard man. That God, that God tries to squeeze water out of a rock. You try, to, you try to harvest where you have not even sown seed. Judas gave in to fear. Examine yourself, whether you're in the faith, brothers and sisters, or men and women, I should call you. Speak to my own heart. Out of fear, have you fully, have you refused to fully embrace Jesus Christ? Out of fear. Because you have this idea that he's a hard man. John, the same, the same man who wrote this book in, in 1 John, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in 1 John, John says, the, commandment of, the commandments of God are not burdensome. I, like the, I prefer the interpretation grievous. The commandments of God are not grievous. Judas didn't accept that. Now, interestingly, when the two men, one with the ten talents and the five talents who had invested uh, the talents in the kingdom of God. They didn't bury it like the guy with one bag of gold. They invested it. It says when they get to heaven, this is what they're going to hear in Matthew 23. Well done and good, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy. There's that word again of the Lord. But the man who thought God was hard and just gave in to fear and refused to embrace that relationship of everlasting life, Jesus says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I'd like to go back uh, briefly before we close to verse 18. In verse 18 of this same chapter, chapter 13, it says that I do not speak concerning all of you. Speaking about Judas there. But, 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 but what things did Jesus say that did not apply to Judas? He had just been talking, and then he says, well, not everything that I'm talking about applies to all of you. Of course, we know he's speaking about Jesus. But what were the things that he said that did not apply to Judas? Well, read verse 13 with me. 
Verse 13, Jesus, after washing the disciples' feet, says to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. It's that verse, right? That's the verse that didn't apply to Judas. Lord means master. It means ruler of your life. If your Lord tells you to go right, you go right. If your Lord tells you to go left, you go left. Judas may have called Jesus Lord, because remember, that's the verse. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am. So he called. He called. Judas called Jesus Lord, but he wasn't his Lord. In Matthew 7, 21, it says this. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. If you are a man or woman or a child who you're in church, you're singing when the people sing. You're praying when the people pray. You're even serving when the people serve. But when the rubber meets the road in your life, when God, when your Lord, when the word of God is saying, you, need, you know you need to go in this direction, if the heat's on, you go the other. I'm going to call the worship team up at this point. And I want to emphasize that joy is the one thing that characterizes the Christian life. When the Bible says examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, it's suggesting it's not suggesting a period of of of, of months or years. <laughs> It, it's, it's suggesting something that is either done in the moment or over the course of days, I believe. At maximum, I believe, weeks. There's wonderful stories, by the way, of, of wonderful men and women of God who took actually weeks to just to really seek the God, uh, seek God, am I in the faith? But a great thing to do on a Sunday morning at Calvary Chapel in the city, first Sunday of 2018. Have you broken through that fear barrier and joined Jesus in such a way you're leaning on his bosom? You know what the remarkable thing is about this this verse is that Simon Peter motions to John and says, hey, would you ask him? You're right near him. You're leaning on his chest. Would you ask him who he's talking about? And Jesus told him. Apparently, he is the on- John is the only one in there who knew that it was Judas. Verse 26, Jesus answered. It, it, it says, well, verse 25, it says, John asked him, Lord, who are you talking about? Verse 26, well, it's he who I, I, I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And so he, he dips the the bread, the sauce, and he gives it to Judas. John knew. God will talk to you if you're willing to break through. He will talk to you. He is spirit. By his spirit, he will speak to you. Just like he spoke to John here. It's a beautiful picture. So as we worship this closing worship song, if you've been asked to pray 
please come up. If you're wondering whether or not you have made Jesus the Lord of your, uh, of your life, in other words, you, you call Jesus Lord, you're in church. But you wonder seriously whether you've really done that. I'd like you just to come up and we can just pray, for, pray through this thing with you. When Jesus calls people, he calls them publicly. If there's anything else that is just stirring in your heart, the word of God is just stirred up in your heart, you'd like to pray about it with a brother or sister. Please come up. But I encourage you, if you have never broken through that wall of fear to make Jesus your Lord and Savior and just allow him to pull you into his bosom, his chest. Come up and let's pray because that's a prayer of faith that you do. Why don't you rise? I'll close in prayer and we'll end with worship and prayer. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for this this word, this, this warning, this exhortation. Oh, how your word does a refining, wonderful work in our hearts. It does that, Lord. I just thank you. I pray, Father, by the Holy Spirit as we worship, you would just continue that cleansing work. Lord, we want to go out of this room with joy, as your word commands, actually. We want to lead that way with joy this morning. But in the meantime, let's worship, help us reflect, help us do business with you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.